0: While I'm gone, dream me the world. Something new for every night. Chapter 27, page 219, The Dream Thieves. Hi, I'm Shannon. And I'm Navita. And we're We're the Raven Raven Girls. Welcome to our Raven Cycle podcast. Where we talk about many dysfunctional teenagers slash adults and their crappy ideas about flirting and romance. Bombs, question mark? Petty theft, question mark? Really? (laughs) (laughs) This is episode 23, and we are covering chapters 27 through 30 of The Dream Thieves. And we will also be taking a little mini deep dive on the myth of Pygmalion. Disclaimers! This is an analysis
1: podcast. We'll be discussing the Raven Cycle as a cycle. This means we're spoilerific, so you probably want to have read the books before listening. We use pronunciations from the audiobooks, and page numbers will be referenced from the paperback editions.
0: And a disclaimer for me, this podcast has a Teen Plus rating. There will be canon levels of adult content, including Ronan swearing, 300 Foxway drinking, Kavinsky lewdness, and hopefully no Gray Man violence. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's get on to the episode. Okay. Announcement, or more of a disclaimer, I guess. There may be a lot more road noise in the background of this episode, and possibly that's appropriate, <laughs> because there's some pretty major construction happening in the street past my house, and there are huge steel plates and gravel and bumps and all kinds of things happening out there right now, so we apologize in advance. <sighs> uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, getting into it. Mm-hmm. Chapter twenty-seven, a Ronan POV chapter. Ronan and Gansey confront Kavinsky on his own turf. The clashing of two kings from different areas of Ronan's life. Kavinsky is skeezy. Gansey is on fire, and Ronan is loving every second of it. <laughs> also, the name of this party sounds familiar. Anyone? Anyone? No, I don't think no, I've heard no, it at no, all. No, mm-mm. especially not with any of the a's taken out. <laughs> oh my god okay (laughs) i don't think it will come to a surprise to anyone that this might be my favorite chapter of the book (laughs) she has been so excited y'all so excited you just don't know (laughs) i think um well maybe i went a little overboard personally (laughs) the last episode which was episode 22 and as of this recording it's not been released yet but we covered 33 pages and had 27 pages of notes not including the deep dive and this episode we're covering 24 pages with 31 pages of notes oh my gosh (laughs) this is why we are moving the deep the dive we had in its planned. Own special thing. Yeah. yeah.
1: <laughs> All right. So. I find it interesting that Ronan sees Kavinsky and Ganzi as basically two sides of the same coin, Mm -hmm. both hopelessly entwined in the infrastructure of Henrietta.
0: Mm -hmm. And this whole first paragraph is structured so interestingly. In and of itself, it parallels Kavinsky and Ganzi specifically in the way that it's laid out. Mm -hmm. The very first sentence tells the reader that this is a chapter that will be showing Kay and Ganzi from Ronan's point of view. Mm -hmm. And firstly, it represents the both of them as kings in their their own kingdom. Ganzi held court and Kavinsky ruled the night. Right. And secondly, each of the two of them gets a list of the types of things that they each rule over. And then thirdly, we get an encapsulation of their world. It's like where they live and where they operate.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Ganzi held court over the
1: tidier, brighter elements, a sunshiny world of Aguinby Dusk's junior faculty waving tow truck drivers knowing his name. Monmouth was typical Gansey, a seat imposed on the ruined and abandoned.
0: Mm -hmm. And this is that list where Gansey is shown to be a tidy, bright daytime ruler, Mm -hmm. illustrated by those phrases, the sunshiny world, the daytime world of school with the junior faculty and Aglinby desks, Mm -hmm. and people being friendly and knowing Gansey's name. And even the place that he lives is order and a Right. Kavinsky, on the other hand,
1: ruled the night. Places that wouldn't even occur to Gansey. Back parking lots of the public schools, basements of McMansions... Vernon dislikes showy money and sloppy architecture? <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> crouched behind doors of public restrooms. Mm-hmm. And Kavinsky here is a king of the darkness. His list is dirty, seedy, nighttime things. Back parking lots of public schools implies selling drugs or hanging out smoking. Mm-hmm. Basements are usually where high school parties are held, again with the drinking, the drugs, and sex. Right. And crouched behind the doors of public restrooms. It makes me think of cruising, though it might be implying something else I'm not picking up on more drugs (laughs) more drugs yeah (laughs) and then Kavinsky's kingdom was not so much conducted in the red yellow green glow of a traffic light but in the black place just outside the glow Mm -hmm. Kavinsky doesn't even get the tiniest bit of light in Ronan's mind he is the darkness outside of any nighttime light or glow And Ronan preferred them separate. He did not like his foods to touch. This feels both cold and funny. Mm -hmm. And it loops back to that first sentence. Ronan had always done a fine job of keeping them separate in his mind. Mm -hmm. So it's a really nice book ending in the two statements. Right.
1: And now he was taking Gansey to one of Kavinsky's coarsest rituals. My first thought was, is it coarse and crude? I mean, it all seems consensual and they're only damaging their own stuff. But, you know, it is pretty dangerous and raucous, Mm -hmm. now that I think about it.
0: Yeah. What strikes me is the use of the word ritual. Mm -hmm. And I'll talk about this a little later in the chapter, but it really does feel so frantic and kinetic. There's this very dark and otherworldly atmosphere. And the substance party, to me, does feel like the characters are stepping into someone else's kingdom. Absolutely. It feels very, like, other. Mm Mm-hmm.
1: Ronan, staring at one of the licenses. I can do this without you. Ganzi, pacing next to the- Ronan Henrietta, shoots an intense and heedless glare that basically says, like hell, you will. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Ronan realizes there are many versions of Ganzi. He seems to know Ganzi better than Ganzi knows Ronan and muses that this one has been rare since the introduction of Adam's taming presence. Mm-hmm. We talk a lot about what a calming influence Adam has on Ronan, but he can be one for Gansey as well. Right. It was also Ronan's
0: favorite. And of course it is. Right. I can't really blame him. This would be an interesting version of Gansey that we as readers have never seen before. Right. It was the opposite
1: of Gansey's most public face, pure control enclosed in a paper-thin layer of academia. And that is so President Cell Phone Gansey. That's mm-hmm. such a good description of that. This version of ganzi was Gansy the boy. The ganzi who had bought the Camaro, who had asked Ronan to teach him how to fight. The ganzi who contained every wild spark so it wouldn't show up in the other versions. I will point out, though, that ganzi is still a boy. Instead of a 67-year-old sea captain. <laughs> and here's the bit you mentioned last episode, Navita, where Ronan is listing things off that could have made that change in Ganzi's hmm In ganzi's
0: Demeanor? Demeanor, yes, mm-hmm. that's what
1: I'm looking for.
0: The shield beneath the lake, Orla's orange bikini, the bashed-up remains of his rebuilt Henrietta, or Blue lying about if she cared whether or not Gansy was attracted to someone else.
1: <laughs> mm-hmm all that mattered was that someone had lit a match and Gansey was burning. Mm -hmm.
0: It really does seem to be a totally different side of Gansey and he does seem like completely wild. Uh huh. And I actually just had a thought. (laughs) Not that I haven't had a million thoughts about this, but it's interesting when he talks about Adam's taming presence that maybe this is a Gansey that was more visible when Ronan wasn't the one that was off the rails. Right. So how much of it is that he now feels like he has to be sort of this controlled figure for ronin whereas before ronin had all of his trauma he could be a little more loose and free mm-hmm
1: Ronan leaves Chainsaw behind because he doesn't want her to learn
0: bad language. Really, Ronan? Yeah. I can't, uh, this is, I can't even. It's so hilarious to me. I love it so much. And then Ronan drives. This alone is a change of pace. We rarely see Gansey give up control and let someone else drive. Mm -hmm. He didn't tell Gansey why he knew where to go, and Gansey didn't ask. It's another out-of-character statement. Right.
1: The site had not been used to host a fair since the county fair had run out of money two years previous.
0: That sounds disturbingly like home. Yeah. Now it was a great overgrown field studded with floodlights and strung with tattered bunting made colorless by months of exposure. This isn't the same field from later in the book. It can't be, right? That would have to be a different field where all of the mixus are. Mm -hmm. There was something
1: unbearably sexy about cars at night. I'm sure Navita agrees. (laughs) I think in this atmosphere, undoubtedly, yes. (laughs) The sight of them knocked his heartbeat askew. Vernon, I'm in no position to judge kinks, but I'm pretty sure it's the guys driving them that are doing that. Right.
0: It's like, (laughs) yeah, the cars, Ronan. It's that surge of anticipation again. Uh Uh-huh. And then Maggie recently did a series of posts for Author Life Month. And on day 19, she said, a non-bookish hobby. I was trying to think of which of my hobbies I should use for today. Art, music, movies, gardening, writing, whatever. And decided to go with the one that always delights me, no matter what else is going on. Cars. I've never met one I didn't like to go sideways in, stand on, or spin in. (laughs) Give me four wheels and a patch of dirt or ice, and I'll show you my smile. And man, that poor Evo, it's been painted so many colors. so many times. (laughs) So,
1: Renan sees Kavinsky, and the trip of his heart became a kick drum. Remember what I was saying about it being the guys and not the cars? Yeah,
0: yeah. (laughs) I thought of his heart being like an engine revving.
1: Mm -hmm. The beat of his stereo was being drowned out by Kavinsky's, the bass pulsing up through the ground itself. Mm -hmm. And yeah, this is 100% Kavinsky's domain.
0: yeah. Gansey rolled his sleeves up and studied his hand as he made a fist and released it. It's Gansey looking like he's preparing for a fight. And then Ronan tells Gansey not to say anything stupid to Kavinsky. What stupid? He responds. <laughs> it was hard to tell with Kavinsky. And Ronan actually doesn't know Kavinsky very well. Their interactions have probably been fairly limited to street racing so far. Right.
1: The racing the cars toward each other to see who backs off first that's going on is referred to here as automotive chicken.
0: And I thought chicken was always played with cars, like that was what it was. Yeah, I think chicken is traditionally played with cars, but something about this makes me think of jousting. Mm-hmm. That sort of time side slip into another darker, older kingdom of chaos. Yeah. A guy half hung out of the passenger seat of the white car, clinging to the roof with one hand and flipping the bird with the other. Delighted screams filled the space between engine noises. It feels so dark, chaotic, degenerate, and filthy, and pagan. Mm-hmm. So the description of the burning
1: Volvo here gives me such a queer picture and it does seem kind of hellish. Mm-hmm. A tired Volvo was parked beneath a tattered fallen string of flag bunting. It was lit from within like an entrance to hell on fire or at least working up to it.
0: Right. I went through and counted every instance of reference to fire and fire related images in this chapter and there are no less than 20. Wow. And that's not counting fireworks or explosions. Oh wow. It's like the chapter about caves water. When you start looking for the word dream, it's everywhere. Right. Interestingly, in another contrast, Gansy is often described in this chapter as icy or frosty from the outside, but burning within. Mm-hmm. And the description of the boys
1: around the Volvo mm-hmm. it sounds like a cross to me between demons and the boys on Pleasure Island in Pinocchio. Oh, that scene scared the crap oh my out of gosh. me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. it's the island where they all party and become donkeys. Uh huh. Boys stood around the Volvo, drinking and smoking, their forms distorted and dark against the smoldering upholstery, goblins around a bonfire.
0: To me, it feels so unseelie, Fay. Mm-hmm. This party is the dark mirror to the world that Gansey rules. Absolutely.
1: Something inside Ronan was anxious and moving, angry and restive. The fire ate him from the inside. This whole scene feels very much like Ronan's inner turmoil made manifest.
0: Yeah, it's all of the dark energy that coils inside him that he can only let out at night, and it's what he does through drinking or speed or violence. Mm-hmm. Ronan pulls the BMW up to the Mitsu nose to nose that feels very intimate like their avatars are going to kiss (laughs) (laughs) and then Vernon sees Kavinsky's
1: car the side of the car was shockingly mutilated and crumpled That felt like a dream. A dream? Mm -hmm. No way was the Mitsubishi so mangled. It was
0: immortal. In a way, it is immortal. Or at least it will die and be resurrected. Uh Uh-huh. Many, many times. Many, many times. Kavinsky himself stood near it, bottle in hand, shirtless, the floodlights erasing the ribs from his concave torso. He's so thin. He's a junkie, like Mm pigeon-chested. And also recognizing that Ronan is taking note of his shirtlessness. (laughs) Kavinsky throws a bottle at the... Hood of the BMW. It splintered on the metal, shivering glass and liquid everywhere. It's a challenge. It's a gauntlet thrown at a duel. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's exactly what I thought of too.
1: Also, I love Ganzi exclaiming here in a mix of surprise and admiration, Mm -hmm. with the added thought of
0: at least they hadn't bought the Camaro. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah, the whole scene is instantly chaotic and cacophonous, Mm -hmm. with a bunch of smells and sounds assaulting the senses. Ronan, Gansey said, in the exact same way that he just invoked Jesus. (laughs) And Ronan is goading him, questioning, are we doing this? Mm -hmm. Gansey grabs the roof of the car and slides himself out. Even that gesture, Ronan noted, was wild, Gansey. Gansey on fire. Like he pulled himself out of the car because ordinary climbing out was too slow.
1: Mm -hmm. This is also a very rural southern thing, a la the Dukes of Hazzard. (laughs) Right,
0: yeah. Yeah, those guys. Weren't their doors bolted shut? <laughs> I might have been. Weird. Okay, anyway. This was going to be a night. The fire inside Ronan was what kept him alive. Mm -hmm. and Ronan heads straight for Kavinsky and Kay says, hey lady (laughs) he's using the feminine as an insult. This is a substance party. Nobody's in unless you brought a substance. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And then Ronan immediately grabs Kavinsky and hurled him tidily over the hood of the Mitsubishi for punctuation. He rejoined him on the opposite side and slammed his fist into Kavinsky's nose. (laughs) (laughs) Ronan speaks with actions. Ronan is worked up and likely really pissed at Kavinsky that he and Kay Mm -hmm. has four First Ronan's hand, and now Ronan has had to bring Gansey to this place.
1: Right. Ronan does not want Gansey here. Mm -mm. He didn't like his foods
0: to touch. Right, As Kavinsky climbed back up, Ronan showed him his bloody knuckles. Here's your substance. Fuck, maybe I'm weird, but goddamn, I love this. (laughs) No, I like it
1: too. Mm -hmm. It's like, it's not generally my style, but this absolutely fits the feel of this book and what's going on.
0: Yeah. Kavinsky wipes his nose, leaving a red streak on his bare arm. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Then he has the gall to call Ronan (laughs) antisocial, which fair. (laughs) Yeah, pretty fair. The first hint of Gansey's dog as Gansey held up his hand in the universal sign for Down Boy. Mm Mm-hmm. I don't want to keep you from your revels, Gansey said, cold and glorious. So I'm just going to say this, stay out of my place. From your revels, revels, revels is such a medieval word, or maybe it's just because I associate it with the SCA.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I also noted that revels felt stiff and old fashioned. It's Gansey's way of attempting to hold on to propriety in at least some way, maybe?
0: Right. Or maybe being condescending. We've seen him use vocabulary as a weapon in the past. Uh Kavinsky calls out to a girl sitting in his car. Babe, get me a smoke. Girl, beard, bye. (laughs) Does it matter? Mm-hmm. The girl lolled in the passenger seat of the crunched Mitsubishi, her eyes deeply stoned. This scares me a little, a lot. <laughs> to mm-hmm. put it mildly, Kavinsky isn't known for his respect of personal space.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, first off, my guess would be Beard, because he seems to treat her as a non-being. Mm-hmm. And yes, the question of what is up with her worried me too. Right. It's also another moment of Ronin in action, flicking out the fake ID. I always picture him flicking it at Kavinsky.
0: Mm-hmm. I do too. I picture him flicking it... As and then it bouncing right off of Kay's super prominent breastbone.
1: Uh-huh. <laughs> he is certain it was Kavinsky who trashed hmm
0: With his hollow cheeks, Kavinsky was a ghoul in this light. He's described again as this weird, otherworldly presence. Mm-hmm. Ganzy tells Kay he should be glad that Ganzy didn't go to the police, and Kavinsky backpedals. Whoa, whoa, I can't tell which of us is high. Spoiler, it's you. <laughs> Gansey scoffs, and then there was just a hint of a glacial laugh in his voice. It was a terrifying and wonderful laugh, Ronan thought, because Gansey had measured out only contempt and not a touch of humor. This line shows that Ronan is 100% with Gansey, and at no point does that ever waver through this chapter.
1: Mm. Yeah, Ronan adores Gansey on fire. Action is what Ronan understands, and it's how he expresses, well, everything.
0: Right familiar destructive sound of cars colliding in the background has he crashed before not the bmw
1: certainly no i don't think so but i feel like he's been to parties like this before Mm -hmm. and also i like the line there was nothing dramatic about the sound of newer vehicles crashing all the safety bumpers meant it was mostly the dull thought of plastic puncturing yeah
0: that's good There was no other sound in the world like a car crash. I'm pretty sure we can count this as foreshadowing to the next time that Ronan meets up with Kavinsky. Um, absolutely. And then Kay, you want in on this, don't you? <laughs> That's such a drug dealer line. It, <laughs> yeah, it feels like peer pressure. It absolutely is peer pressure. Mm-hmm. It's almost
1: very special episode levels of peer pressure. <laughs> yeah. I totally feel Ronan's immediate and almost unconscious irritated reaction to the Alice in Wonderland misquote. It's like the right quote, but done wrong. And Mm -hmm. that happens all the time with Lewis Carroll. Right.
0: So Kavinsky says, some make you big and some make you small, which to me, it seems like a hat tip to Jefferson Airplane's White Rabbit. Mm -hmm. One pill makes you larger and one pill makes you small. And the ones that mother gives you don't do anything at all. Yeah, Possibly. Yeah. In the Lynch household, Ronan had grown up with two recurring stories, perennial favorites of his parents. Aurora Lynch's favorite had been an old black black and white movie version of the myth of Pygmalion about a sculptor who falls in love with one of his statues. So a brief overview of the myth of Pygmalion and why I actually find this horrifying instead of sweet... The Roman poet Ovid, in his Metamorphosis, which we've talked about several times, Mm -hmm. relates that Pygmalion, a sculptor, makes an ivory statue representing his ideal of womanhood and then falls in love with his own creation, which he names Galatea. The goddess Venus, this is Roman, brings the statue to life in answer to his prayer. The myth itself is even more problematic than that (laughs) write-up. Pygmalion was a talented Greek sculptor who, for some reason, gets disgusted air quotes, by his local prostitutes, sex workers, and lost all interest in women and avoided them, saying that women are flawed creatures and that he never wanted to waste a moment of his life with them. Ugh. Instead, he dedicated his life to his work, where his masterpiece was, you guessed it, an idealized fake woman that he carved out of ivory. (laughs) He sought to correct all of the flaws of womanhood in his statue and carved it with such passion that in the end, he fell in love with it. Gross. Yeah. (laughs) Then even worse, he began basically courting the statue, bringing it gifts, dressing it in fine clothes and jewelry... I want to vomit, kissing and caressing it. It's objectification to the extreme. Mm -hmm. But oh, the irony. He fell in love with a woman who couldn't love him back. Mm -hmm. Friend-zoned by a statue. (laughs) Instead of accepting this, he sacrifices a bull to Aphrodite, who is apparently impressed with Pygmalion's love for his creation and brings her to life. This is Galatea. (sighs) They of course get married and have children and live happily ever after. The end. My skin is crawling, Mm -hmm. literally. even people today seem to hold this myth up to a paragon of true love and someone's heart's desire coming true it's like i just can't even with this right i actually heard an episode of a
1: podcast called feminist folklore Mm -hmm. that talks about this and they feel exactly the same way i might link to that because it's it's
0: pretty good i'd love to listen to that yeah (laughs) and in reference to niall lynch and aurora yes it makes me want to throw up okay So, the black and white version of Pygmalion that Ronan is referencing is likely the 1938 adaptation of the George Bernard Shaw play of the same name. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Other movie adaptations include, famously, the musical My Fair Lady, released in 1964 and starring Audrey Hepburn. Mm -hmm. And more modern, loose movie adaptations of the play or the original myth include Mannequin and Weird Science. I actually liked both of those. (laughs) Mm, Mannequin. Yeah. You watch them again and it's a little... (laughs) I was like, you know... Yes, Eight? exactly. We were, we were small children. The 80s was a weird time, you guys. And those two cover the creation of a woman and subsequently falling in love with her. And Pretty Woman and the makeover movies of the 90s right. and represented best by She's All That. And
1: those are all Yeah,
0: yeah well, I love Pretty Woman. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I love it, I think, because the end and the end was put in as a response to women basically saying this is bullshit. Right. <laughs> So they gave her some agency in that movie. But yeah, Mm -hmm. anyway, those two and others are covering more of the Eliza Doolittle-esque My Fair Lady Pygmalion Mm -hmm. play, molding of a lower class or nerdy woman to fit the tastes of a man. Right, And then Alice in Wonderland... Alice in Wonderland is so deeply embedded in the American zeitgeist that I'm not sure we should spend a ton of time on this. Right. But Alice's adventures in Wonderland and Through the Looking Glass and what Alice found there were written by Lewis Carroll, a pseudonym of English author Charles Lutwood Dodgson. The first Alice book was written in 1865 and tells of a young girl named Alice falling through a rabbit hole into a fantasy world populated by peculiar anthropomorphic creatures. It is considered to be one of the best examples of of the literary nonsense genre. There's Mm -hmm. so much to it that it can't possibly be covered here. And I recommend that you get yourself an annotated version. And I own the one by Martin Gardner. It's a really good one. Mm -hmm. And back to the chapter. (laughs) (laughs) So Ronan thinks he no longer could judge whether or not these two pieces of media were any good, whether or not he actually liked them. They were his parents. Quite literally, it seems. There's very little interpretation left between the lines on those choices.
1: My thoughts exactly. Mm -hmm. So Kavinsky asks what they're going to do about their rat problem. Mm -hmm. Ganzi, beg pardon? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Kavinsky says, if I didn't treasure a place, something else is infesting it.
0: I noticed, like, something else. Mm -hmm. And Gainsey looks to Ronan. Possibility? Right. And I noted that Kay was being deviously smart here. Also, the accent is so bad. (laughs) Someone other than Ronan had
1: smashed up Declan Lynch's face. So theoretically, something other than Kavinsky could have broken in the monument. Again, why the something here? Is he just mentally slamming Kavinsky? Mm-hmm. Or what else could he mean by that something?
0: Yeah, I'm not sure. I underlined the anything is possible part, commenting that Ronan is speaking as an impossibility himself. You're right, it seems like an odd and specific word choice. Mm-hmm. Prokopenko calls out his voice was milky with drugs. Yes, damn. I can totally hear this in my head but I'd never be able to describe Thank it. The same. Yeah. Ronan would have recognized his silhouette anywhere. One shoulder crooked and higher than the other. Ears like wing nuts. The Raven Cycle fandom has a name for all of Kavinsky's friends. The Dream Pack. <laughs> other than their cars and their names this is the closest we get to a description of any of those characters. Everything else is firmly in headcanon territory Territory, mm-hmm. But Dream Pack folks are pretty fiercely protective of the concept as a whole, right? Proco and Gansy, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> mommy and daddy came again. Kay is describing the feminine to Ronan. Mm-hmm. Hey, Gansy, you get a babysitter for Parish? <laughs> okay, Kay is trying to be insulting, but the flip side is that it's almost complimentary. The Gangzi can be considered a family. it's a good point. Mm-hmm. First rule of Substance Party is you don't talk about Substance Party. Second rule is you bring a substance if you want another one. Nice nod to Fight Club, which is one of Maggie's favorite movies. Mm
1: -hmm. There are so many media references
0: in this chapter. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And then Will Patton does an awful version of Kavinsky's (laughs) accent, trying to do Gansey's accent. I know what your dog wants. Gansey's dog wants to blow things up, apparently. Well, it's not a bad assumption, Mm -hmm. to be sure.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So ordinarily, Gansey would have done more than edge away. He would have been frostily polite to Kavinsky, and then he would have been gone. But this was not Gansey as usual.
0: Yeah, this was Gansey with a lofty tilt to his chin, a condescending quirk to his mouth. This is an actual sighting of the cruel Gansey that Adam was originally afraid he would be. This was a Gansey Ronan realized that Adam would hate. And again, Ronan's right about Adam. Right. And what is it my dog needs? Ronan's lip curled into a smile. I picture this as far more of a snarling, raised lip on a growling dog than a smile. Oh, me too. Amiably, Kavinsky told the girl in the passenger seat, Get out, bitch. Unless you want to die. It's all the same to me. I wish this was an example of bitch for emphasis, but I really think he's just calling her a bitch. Yeah, like, I don't think, yeah. This is probably one of the most disgusting things Kavinsky does. Well, I I say that, and then I think about it, and there's a pretty big list. It's pretty big. (laughs) There's a big section about illegal fireworks in Virginia.
1: Lol <laughs> You're like you're like, yeah, what else? And I'm like, Oh my god, it's the same in West Virginia. Yeah. Oh my gosh. <laughs> they apparently have loosened the restrictions there, but people always snuck them over from Kentucky
0: when I was growing up. <laughs> yeah. They're illegal in Oregon too, but that mm-hmm. doesn't stop any. Right. <laughs> and then if you were Kavinsky, you built your own. Scratch out built, insert dreamed. Yep. <laughs> and about the Mitsu. So many times, just the first glimpse of its taillights on the road ahead of him had been enough to pump an urgent spasm of adrenaline through him. He's in love with Kay's car. Or rather, it represents the things that excite him about Kavinsky. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he has a little devastated at the loss of this car. I know. Kay's dismissive of the suggestion that he could repair the dent. Cherry popped. Crude, yes. Mm-hmm. Prokopenko, make me a cocktail, man cocktail infers alcohol or drugs and he says take the edge off as he's handing it to Ganzi. it's almost to confirm that alcohol or drugs but a molotov cocktail is handed over uh-huh. to ronin's surprise and delight Ganzi accepted it i am also surprised maybe not as delighted same <laughs> yeah instead of throwing it at the mitsubishi however Ganzi sighted a line towards the distant volvo he hurled it high and graceful and true this description sounds more like a representation of Ganzi. And why did he throw it at the Volvo to establish that he wouldn't follow Kay's orders? Partly that
1: I think, and partly that he doesn't actually have as much of a destructive streak even when mad as he wants to put up a show of having right now. Mm-hmm. So he chucks it at something already destroyed.
0: Mm-hmm. And a voice from the crowd shouted, "Whoop whoop, Ganzi boy!" Of course, I marked this tier. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Kavinsky chides Ganzi for throwing it at the wrong car and asks Proko for another Molotov cocktail. This one Kavinsky pressed into Ronan's hand. He leaned close, too close, and said, It's a bomb, just like you. (laughs) Sure, Kay is flirting, but it also seems to be the reality of being a dreamer. Mm -hmm. Something thrilled through Ronan. It was like a dream, the sharpness of all of this, the weight of the bottle in his hand, the heat from the flaming wick, the smell of this polluted pleasure. Included pleasure could also be a description of Kavinsky.
1: Right, I noted all of this as well.
0: Yeah. Kavinsky's eyes glittered, black pits reflecting the small inferno in Ronan's grip. There's so much in this tiny little sentence. First, Kay's pupils are blown out, meaning he's eyes a kite. Second, the fire glittering in his eyes reminds me a little too much of the dragon that Kavinsky pulls out of the dream space at the end of the book. And thirdly, Inferno reminds me of hell, and Kavinsky is later represented by the devil card. On page 398, as Adam and Persephone are rushing to fix the ley line at the end of The Dream Thieves, mm-hmm. Persephone turned over a card, the devil. All of a sudden, Adam was quite certain of why they were hurrying. Uh-huh. And in The Raven King, when Adam is scrying in the Honda Yoda's headlights, Ronan turned his head sideways to read the cards. Something with flames, something with a sword, the devil. 1,000 images were triggered by that single word, devil. Red skin, white sunglasses, his brother Matthew's terrified eyes in the trunk of a car. Mm -hmm. Dread and shame together, thick enough to vomit up. Page 141 of The Raven King. So he throws the Molotov cocktail as it arched through the air, trails of fire orange in its wake. Ronan felt as if he had hurled his heart. Mm -hmm. The past was something that had happened to another version of himself, a version that could be lit and hurled away. His grief, his shame. Yeah, both, I think. It was as if there was no liquid, only fire. Flames poured across the headrest like a living thing. Partygoers moved towards the car, moths to a new lamp. It feels so ritualistic again and hedonistic. Right. It reminds me of Beltane, but this party would be very close to Litha, midsummer, like summer solstice. Mm-hmm. And it's maybe within a week after. Right. And midsummer is also a huge bonfire ritual centered celebration. Some of the traditions and symbols of midsummer, the bonfire. Traditionally, people stayed up all night on Midsummer's Eve to welcome and watch the sunrise. Bonfires were lit on tops of hills, by holy wells, and at places held sacred to honor the fullness of the sun. At Litha, the bonfire really represents a reflection of the sun at the peak of its strength. People danced around the fires and leapt through them. Mm-hmm. So Kavinsky, his laugh high
1: and manic, dashed another bomb through the window. More demonic, goblin, devil imagery here. Mm-hmm. Pinko threw another. We only ever see Dream Proko, as far as I know, mm-hmm. and this feels like he's aping Kavinsky and or just mechanically following orders. This whole chapter.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely. The smell was becoming toxic. Everything is toxic here, to be honest. Absolutely. <laughs> It seemed like a vehicle was well and
1: truly dead once the stereo had melted. I can feel that.
0: Yeah, that seems to be a rule of life. (laughs) Ronan looks to Gansey, but the other boy was looking out over the numerous silhouettes his eyes narrowed. In one way, this feels like a king observing foreign rituals, and in another, it simply indicates Gansey is done. He's no longer needing to be here.
1: Yeah, he's ready to head back to Monmouth and rule his particular corner of the world. Mm
0: -hmm. (laughs) Kavinsky says that the 4th of July is a lot like a substance party. You want to see something explode? Bring something that explodes. There was a dare there. Mm -hmm. Finally, Ronan is starting to feel Kay's plan. (laughs) He thinks that he could drive over the border or find plans on the internet, or it was also something that he could attack with a dream. He was good at dangerous things, both in his sleep and while awake. Mm -hmm. I noted these
1: too. You can almost see the light come on in Ronan's head here. Yeah,
0: definitely. Gansey starts to leave and Ronan says that he'll light a candle for Kavinsky's car, like a Catholic.
1: Yeah. Yeah. In the Catholic Anglican churches that I've been to, there are often little places off to the side with candles you can light in a display for lost loved ones or
0: just unspoken prayer requests. Right. And Kavinsky says, you aren't leaving. Harsh. (laughs) If Gansey was going, Ronan was going. Okay, this is what Kay will never understand. Ronan was never going to stay with him. Mm Mm-hmm. Also,
1: Ronan actually does flick one of the IDs at Kavinsky here in a very, like, 50s tough guy tossing a thick cigarette at someone kind of way. Mm -hmm. And it's just like, stay out of our place. right? I only come where they invite me, man. Kavinsky is a creature of the night.
0: (laughs) I actually, (laughs) yes, underlined that. I love it so much. I was like, you're (laughs) full of shit, Kavinsky. (laughs) Call your dog. He said it like either Ronan or Gansey should be offended by it. But honestly, they know their place with each other. Mm-hmm. Ronan hasn't even left the party yet And he gets a text See you on the streets <laughs> I don't know if it's as good a pickup line As what do you know about Welsh kings It but is not as good <laughs> No I've seen people say on the internet See you in the sheets I mean on the streets uh, Auto cracked. <laughs> Ronan backed out with a dramatic spin In the dirt Gansey made an approving noise Since when does Gansey approve of this? When he's Gansey on fire. Mm Kavinsky, Gansey said with a little
1: laugh in his voice, still dismissive. He thinks he owns this place. He thinks he lives in a music video. Gansey is still furious, but we're starting to see a little old man slash dad Gansey showing through again.
0: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I I didn't write it down, but Ronan saying you can't see the appeal. Uh huh. <laughs> like of course Ronan can see the appeal. Mm-hmm. Ronan let the BMW have its head. The car galloped joyfully and recklessly toward home for a few miles. The speedometer setting the pace of their pulses. It reminds me of the Christmas story when Ronan skids the BMW into the Monmouth parking lot, and it looks like it was ridden hard and put away wet. Yeah, I marked this, and it felt familiar, but I couldn't place it. Right. And then there were a couple of paragraphs here that are about as non-straight as you can get, even when taken in the context of a substance party that is about as fraught with boys flirting as possible. (laughs) It starts with Gansilini back in his seat, an unsafe sort of smile about his mouth. What a torn meant the possibility in that smile was oh ronan <laughs> gansey says something telling there was never a time when that could have been you and me it sounds very suspiciously like ronan saying it was never going to be you and me to gavinsky after the dreamed camaro and blue saying it's not gonna be you to adam and page 346 that's a good catch mm-hmm. then gansey makes me hate him You know the difference between us and Kavinsky? We matter. Fuck you, Gansey. You might not like him, but that's a bullshit thing to say about another human being. Yeah, this bothers me immensely, too. Yeah. Ronan thinks about Gansey leaving to DC without him. They had been a two-headed creature for so long, Ronan and Gansey. Then, he couldn't say it, though. There were a thousand reasons why he couldn't say it. What are those reasons? This line has always somewhat confused me. I don't understand what kind of secret he is hiding from Ganzi here. Maybe it's not so much a secret as he can't show vulnerability to anyone, not even Ganzi. Mm hmm. I can see that. And then, while I'm gone, Ganzi said, pausing, dream me the world, something new for every night. <laughs> um. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I actually kind of love this. Yeah, I do too. Of course. <laughs> and there is an echo of this line later with Kavinsky, but I think we'll make that connection when that line comes mm. up. All right. And here we are halfway through the book. Woo-hoo. I don't think we're quite into the big plot twist of the Dream Thieves. And that comes later, obviously. But we are definitely heading towards our big confrontations. Absolutely. Okay. Okay. Chapter 28 is a Gray Man point of view chapter.
1: Mora and the Gray Man go out on a date, starting under the watchful eye of Kala, that is weirdly pleasant giving some of the dinnertime discussion topics. It even ends in a makeout session next to the car, which Mora uses to skillfully pickpocket
0: the Gray Man's phone. Smooth. <laughs> it starts out good evening king of swords and good evening noble blade i don't know that sounds like a pretty romantic set of pet names if you don't know the reasons behind them <laughs> my thoughts exactly yeah. the gray man calls his rental car the champagne mutiny <laughs> one of these days the rental car is going to have to get an mvc
1: <laughs> agreed we're gonna have to look for an opportunity yeah.
0: for that i think there's actually like
1: places later on where the champagne mutiny actually has more of a presence. Yeah. <laughs>
0: And in a similar setup to last chapter, I really like how these first couple of paragraphs parallel how the great man and Mora see each other. Mm -hmm. And they end with, they were both aware that the other had noticed. OTP! (laughs) Uh-huh. The gray man opens the passenger door for Mora, which, honestly, it's actually pretty cute. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Do you know this is the first time I've seen you wearing shoes? Then he says, oh, so, and gets interrupted when he notices Kala is following them. I'm pretty sure that he was about to say... Oh, so is your thing environmental issues? It probably was. And Mora says that Kala is following us to the restaurant to make sure you're really taking me there and not burying me in the woods. Squad goals. (laughs) Actually, that would totally
1: be me and you. Right. Only since I'm way too freaking trusting, I would be Mora and you
0: would be Kala. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yep. And the gray man replies, how ridiculous. I never bury anyone. As exhibited. By a couple of chapters ago with missile and polo shirt. Oh, <laughs> uh, and this is so 100% the gray man's sense of humor right there. Yeah. She <laughs> likes you, Maura said. You should be glad. She's a good friend to have. And this sounds so much like Ganzi talking about Ronan, I had to laugh.
1: Yes. Yeah. Mora says she's ordering for him, and his only note is, I'm allergic to strawberries. 6% of the population is, she noted. This matter-of-fact response leads the gray man to reply, I see where your daughter came from, <laughs> which makes Mora beam. This whole, like, short segment gives me the warm fuzzies. fuzzy. She's so
0: proud of Blue. Yeah. <laughs> she had one of those lovely, open, perfect smiles, genuinely happy and very beautiful. The gray man thought... This is the worst decision I've ever made. (laughs) Damn it. I felt that way, which says more about me than the gray man, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I found that line super sad. It is. The gray man asks Mora about being a psychic, or more specifically, a seer. And she says, it's like a dream or a memory, but forward. Mm -hmm.
1: I find it interesting you choose a seer, which feels like such an archaic word to me. Mm -hmm. And then Moira responds that oftentimes when people come for a reading, we're really telling them things they already know. Mm -hmm. And yes, I know what you're thinking, but that's because I'm a good guesser, not a good psychic. Mm -hmm. It's like cold reading is a thing and we do it oftentimes without even realizing Mm -hmm. it.
0: And the gray man, most likely because of his own past, muses that Mora always appeared humorous, ready to smile, and most people wouldn't be able to see the sadness or longing in her. That was the trick, wasn't it? Everyone had their disappointment and their baggage, only some people carried it in their inside pockets and not on their backs. Mm-hmm.
1: And here was the other trick. Mora was not faking her happiness. She was both very happy and very sad. Mm -hmm. And from what we see of the gray man, I can see why this would
0: captivate him. This doesn't seem to be the way his emotions work at all. Right. Mora ordered the salmon for the gray man because there's something fishy about you. (laughs) The gray man was (laughs) amused. I love that he's amused. The books go out of their way several times to point out that the Gray Man and Blue Mora, they all have a similar sense of humor. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah, I love these parallels too. It's fun to see such different characters with that same kind of connection.
0: Right. They're starting to talk over dinner and the Gray Man doesn't want to talk about being a hitman. He was not defined by it. It wasn't what he did in his spare time. This is how I feel about work too, (laughs) though I find it such an interesting perspective for someone who goes around telling everyone that he's a hitman for a living. Uh Uh-huh. I, on the other hand, am happiest when my work does match up with
1: one of the things I define myself by. Mm-hmm. And I think the not wanting to talk about it goes back to the worst decision comment earlier. Mm-hmm. He already genuinely likes Mora here. And I think he's feeling a twinge of worry and guilt about what might happen to her if she gets too involved
0: or knows too much about him. Mm-hmm. He mentioned he had a brother, but quickly backtracked and moved around that part of the story. Mm -hmm. Not suspicious at all. (laughs) His phone was buzzing against his leg, but he let it ring. This seems so out of character, but it does set up the phone to be stolen later during the makeout sesh.
1: Yeah, it does set up that later scene, but I don't see it being completely out of character though. Hmm. He also 100% feels like a no electronics at the dinner table kind of guy, especially mm-hmm. on a date. True.
0: Okay, I can take that. <laughs> Mora asks if he doesn't care about hurting people. The gray man. He didn't want to be untruthful. I do, he said. I just turned that part of my brain off.
1: Yeah, he's genuinely terrified if you let yourself think about it for too long. Mm
0: -hmm. Mora follows this up with what seems almost like an act of cruelty. She pulled one of the legs off of her tiny bird. (laughs) Then she (laughs) reminds him that his attitude seems psychologically unhealthy. Mm -hmm. And we're seeing this from the gray man's perspective and he
1: sees the cruel in the mundane. Mm -hmm. It kind of serves to emphasize Mora's point, but it also reminds us that Mora is not a paragon of stability herself. That's true. Uh
0: The gray man responds that he feels fairly balanced Yet we've learned that he's struck with depressive episodes. His trauma is manifesting itself in more ways than just a disconnect from his emotions.
1: Yep. I wonder how deeply he believes that he's balanced. Right. Is the mask he shows the world good enough to fool himself? Mm-hmm. Like, is he unable to see those manifestations that are... Because, like, it can happen that you can just be blind to that.
0: Yeah. No comment. Yeah. <clears throat> <laughs> Mora is referring to being a psychic. It has done its damage. So, you mentioned a brother. She somehow managed to link the word brother to damage. He felt as if she had already divined the nuances of their relationship. She's a good guesser. Mm -hmm. (laughs) She said that earlier. But more accurately, I don't think that the gray man is hiding his feelings very well in this particular case. Yeah,
1: his brother is very much his weak spot.
0: And there's a whole paragraph about the gray man's brother. The gray man starts out with compliments. My brother is very intelligent. I always looked up to him when I was a child. Then he goes on to say that his brother invented complications games or took things like chess or risk and applied the rules to the neighborhood. He continues to describe more things that he and his brother did together and then drops, sometimes he found things in other people's houses and hurt me with them. Sometimes he trapped animals and did things to them. Sometimes we dressed in costumes and put on plays. This list, in just one paragraph, we learn so much, as is intended, about the gray man and we suddenly understand his fear of his brother.
1: Absolutely. The gray man is intimidating, but his brother is a monster. Yes.
0: Mora rightly points out that his brother was a sociopath. The gray man agrees and Mora says, and now you're a hitman. Mm. Does it bother you that he's made you this way? You know that's why you can do this, don't you? It's nature versus nurture. And it's like compare and contrast the abuse that Adam and the gray man have suffered. And could Adam have gone this way?
1: I think he could have. I mean, we've already seen the dissociation and the calculated thought patterns. Mm-hmm. And, you know, life is a weird blend of free will and nature and nurture. People want to blame or credit just one, right. but
0: it's they're all really interconnected. Correct. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> and an absolutely chilling passage... Any part of the gray man that had been bothered by this had died a long time before, burned with matches and gashed with scissors and picked at with straight pins. And when he looked at her, he didn't disguise that deadness in him. Yes,
1: chilling and heartbreaking.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Mora, I'm sorry no one saved you. Mm -hmm. This is so reminiscent of Adam in the epilogue of The Raven King. He realized that it was only because he believed that he had saved himself that he could imagine saving someone else. Mm -hmm. And then Champagne Travesty. (laughs) Okay, maybe that's my favorite of the nicknames for the rental car. (laughs) (laughs) I love this one too. Yeah. Kissing's a lot like laughing. If the joke's funny, it doesn't matter how long it's been since you last heard one. Mm. There aren't terrible ideas, the gray man
1: said, just ideas done terribly. Mm -hmm. I actually kind of love this quote, even though Mora is right. And that's also a psychologically unhealthy concept. Yeah.
0: I like that this is in response to Mora saying it's a terrible idea uh-huh. when the, it was something that the gray man had thought in the right, middle of dinner. exactly. Yeah. Shorty and Patty Wetzel had been trying desperately to call him all through dinner to let him know that his rooms at the bed and breakfast had been ransacked.
1: Echoes of Gainesy calling when the gray man was
0: at Foxway. Exactly. Mora mm-hmm. took his phone out of his front pants pocket. That is some pretty serious groping. <laughs> yeah i
1: oh my god i hadn't even thought of that yeah it was totally buzzing against his leg earlier right and it's like wow mora i'm impressed yeah
0: girls got game (laughs) in its place not only did she take the phone but she slipped something in its place Uh huh. in its place was the ten of swords the gray man slain on the ground and mora the sword driven through his heart Mm -hmm. we start and end the chapter on the same motif yep Chapter 29 is a blue POV chapter. The three Foxway women are stumped by Mr. Gray's phone, so they enlist the help of Blue, physically, not psychically. <laughs> blue manages to get in pretty easily, which may be one of the most unbelievable parts of this book. You're telling me that he doesn't have encryption, facial recognition, <laughs> two factor authentication? Please, no way in hell. <laughs> you're right oh my god i know like this is bullshit (laughs) this chapter rather hilariously starts out with persephone waking blue up and saying you aren't sleeping so would you come help us (laughs) (laughs) persephone knelt on the edge of her bed draping a crimped pale cloud of hair around blue's face she smelled of roses and masking tape It's like, question mark? Question mark? (laughs) This is a weirdly (laughs) specific scent.
1: Yeah, I know that too. It's a very odd combination. And it reminds me of the old photographs and scissors on the wall from last episode. Yeah.
0: Blue protests that she was sleeping. In her tiny voice, Persephone pointed out, but you aren't now. (laughs) (laughs) This is one of those instances
1: where Persephone feels both eight and 80 at the same time. Mm-hmm. There was absolutely no
0: point in arguing with her. It was like fighting with a cat. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Together they padded down the midnight stairs into the musty glow of the kitchen. I love the comfort and specificity of the words chosen in this sentence. Uh-huh. I also love the use of
1: color here, too. Mm -hmm. The fake Tiffany lamp above them, Morancala, painted the backs of their heads in purple and orange. The colors seem both appropriate to the two of them and a little reminiscent of that point just before dawn, which Mm -hmm. is where they are.
0: Yeah, Blue could see the familiar, comforting silhouette of the beech tree in the yard. She's reassuring herself. She's grounding herself. She's taking comfort in the tree that she loves. Yep. All three women were drawn over a single object, one blonde head, one brunette, one black, three people, but one entity. Mm-hmm. Here they are even in that order of maiden, mother, and crone. Again, how hard it is when they lose one of their group. It's a part of themselves missing. Uh-huh, I noted this too. And I laughed so incredibly hard at, oh, mint tea, Calla said meaningfully, <laughs> ruining the mood. <laughs> Kalla knows, which means they all know. Exactly.
1: I laughed and laughed at this mm-hmm. because Gainsey and Blue think they're hiding something, but they are really not not they at <laughs> mora shows the phone and says this is mr Gray's." mora said will you help us wearily blue placed her hand on Kala's shoulder mm-hmm. no mora said not like that we're trying to figure out how to access his email <laughs> <laughs> oh she accepted the phone kids these days <laughs> i know right i know that blue feels like the adult in this exchange yeah
0: it's so weird they don't know how to work a cell phone, but. <laughs> Blue thinks that this phone is the same model as Gansy's. It took no particular skill to open Mr. Gray's email. <laughs> Bullshit! <laughs> she handed it back.
1: It's not because like you have a fucking Gmail account or something.
0: <laughs> and when have you been touching Gansy's phone, Miss Blue? <laughs> hmm? Blue asks if she should light some orris and celery. And to define, orris root is a preparation of the fragrant rootstock of an iris used in perfumery and formerly in medicine. Interesting. In my experience, it's usually ground into a fine powder. I'm sure I have some somewhere. And used as a perfume or fixative. And it does indeed smell like violets. Interesting. The smoke of them was meant to clarify psychic impressions, the book says. And in Cunningham's Encyclopedia of Magical. Herbs by Scott Cunningham, which is well respected Mm -hmm. in this community. It does indeed say when burned with orris root, celery seeds increase psychic powers. Uh And Blue thinks it had begun to smell a little like fireworks fourth of july reference i almost think yes mm-hmm. but, like the smoking
1: and the popping and twitching like popcorn feels very fourth of july to me too
0: right blue asks if the gray man is dangerous to Ronan if he finds out that the gray warren is a he and not an it callus said absolutely at the same time that mora said probably not persephone mm. and Calla shot looks at mora I'll take that as a maybe, Blue said. <laughs> Mora is being weirdly trusting, don't you think? Absolutely.
1: She absolutely is. Because the gray man is 100% dangerous to Ronin. Mm-hmm.
0: At least at this point. Mora mm-hmm. puts on her authoritative, cheerful voice, the one that she had all of the tarot <laughs> cards. <laughs> Blue loved that voice of her mother's, except for when it was being used on her. <laughs>
1: Only now she was using it on a hitman whose phone she had just stolen. Mm-hmm. Again, Blue being more of the adult in this scene, as she can see the danger Mora is trying
0: to avoid looking at. Right. Blue couldn't decide if this was delightfully cheeky or incredibly foolish. Both, of course. Uh-huh. And Mora is
1: acting like a teen talking to a crush on the phone here. Mm-hmm. She's being all flirty and then getting embarrassed enough to blush deeply. Mm-hmm. And Calla and Persephone trying to hear and is shooing them away feels so much like slumber party antics.
0: Right. And I guess I didn't put it in the notes, but Mora blushes, her ears turn pink. Uh-huh. And there's an earlier scene where Blue has the same. And I just think it's such an adorable, like, uh-huh. confirmation of them being related. Right. Blue burst out, but you haven't forgotten Butternut. Okay, I really don't understand what this matters. Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah, I can understand how Blue has built her father up in her mind. Mm -hmm. But Maura has been alone for 16 years, as far as we know. And it's not really fair to ask her to be loyal to someone who left her with no explanation or warning when her baby was born. Uh Uh-huh. You're right. That is not
1: a fair thing to ask. Mm -hmm. But teens are also not known for their ability to see the nuances of situations. It's true. And I think Mora understands with her calm response of,
0: I never do. Right. Mm-hmm. I find it interesting how we have this burgeoning relationship between Mora and the Gray Man here, and the one that is beginning basically the same day in some mm-hmm. respects between Blue and Gansey. But more interestingly, I think this, Mora and Mr. Gray, shows what could have been between Blue and Adam with eventual maturity and some communication. yeah.
1: I do think that they are not the best of couples, but they could have worked. They could have been better Mm -hmm. with some time. Exactly. Maturity and communication, like you Mm -hmm. said. Okay, now the last chapter we're going to talk about (laughs) is really interesting chapter 30 is a ronin point of view chapter and it's only like a page and a bit long right but oh my gosh so much happens right so ronin dreams about tattoos and birds and boys but definitely not about sex nope it's all symbolism here folks nothing
0: to see here move along right all right so ronin is dreaming the same night of the substance party And the first line, that night Ronan dreamt of his tattoo. Mm -hmm. I know we talk a lot about Maggie's opening lines,
1: but again, there's a lot here Mm -hmm. in just this opening line. Ronan's tattoo is very much an expression
0: of the deepest parts of him. Right. The word gotten, as in he had gotten the spreading intricate tattoo, implies the physicalness of it. Mm -hmm. And I believe it was episode six where we talked about our theories of whether or not the tattoo is real or something Ronan dreamed. Uh And here the text seems very specific that it is a physical thing that he got in the real world.
1: Mm -hmm. I still think it's a little of both. Like Mm -hmm. there was a physical tattoo, but I like to think that it changes and evolves with him. Mm -hmm.
0: And he had gotten it a little to irritate Declan, a little to see if it was really as bad as everyone said, and definitely so everyone who glimpsed the hooks of it had fair warning. Mm -hmm. If it was a dream, there wouldn't be the aspect of pain as bad as everyone said. Right. And I do believe that part of the appeal was transmuting his inner pain through the tattoo pain by putting it on his skin as a physical representation of his grief and anger. I think that's very much the case. Mm -hmm. It was full of things from his head, beaks and claws and flowers and vines stuffed into screaming mouths.
1: Ronan's head is a scary place. Mm -hmm. No wonder Opal wants to leave and Chainsaw is afraid of large black things. Right.
0: Ronan falls asleep thinking about the substance party, the burning Mitsubishi, Gansey holding the Molotov cocktail, and then moves on to more esoteric thoughts. The enigmatic language on the puzzle box, the dark bags beneath Adam's eyes. I find it fitting that he thinks of Gansey and then what amounts to a worry for Adam's well-being, Mm -hmm. but he does not directly think of Kavinsky. Right. He's still in denial. His thoughts are skirting around that dangerous territory.
1: Yep. He can think about Adam because he's got that veneer of friend to lay over it, Mm -hmm. even though he's sleeping over at Adam's fairly often at this point already. And he doesn't have that with Kavinsky.
0: Mm -hmm. He's not Kavinsky's friend. Right. And Ronan... Tonight, he saw the tattoo itself from behind, as if he were outside of his own body, as if it were apart from his body. And this feels like Ronan getting an external, removed view of not only himself, but as earlier stated, that physical representation of his grief and his pain and his past. Mm-hmm. And here is where my theory of the tattoo being both a dream object and a physical one comes into play. A dream design able to change as Ronan himself changes. It was more complicated than he remembered. The road to the barns was threaded through it and Chainsaw peered out from a thicket of thorns. At the time that Ronan got the tattoo, Chainsaw did not yet exist. Precisely. Mm -hmm. Adam was in the dream too. Adam has been in his dreams quite often. Mm-hmm. He traced the tangled pattern of the ink with his finger. He said, "Sea quid hook est. Mm-hmm. I know what this is." To me, this seems echoed at the end of the Dream Thieves with the dream/reality scene between Adam and Ronan at the edge of the lake before Ronan pulls out the albino night horror. Mm-hmm. Adam looked up at Ronan. "I know it was you." He held Ronan's gaze for just a moment longer until something inside Ronan unwound and he almost said something. Mm -hmm. It's page 415. Also, it seems to be Adam recognizing what the tattoo represents. All of that fear and pain and anger that Ronan has inked into his skin, looking past the defensive camouflage Ronan is wearing. Basically, Adam telling Ronan that Adam sees his hidden inner parts. Uh Then Adam sensually traces his finger farther and farther down on the bare skin of Ronan's back. Ronan himself disappeared entirely. Mm-hmm. This is something that Kavinsky does later after he's given Ronan the dream pill. But in that instance, Ronan tenses up and feels very uncomfortable. Right. Like Kavinsky will stab him with his finger if he moves. Mm-hmm. But here with Adam, he releases himself. It's a loss of ego. He disappears or fades into this moment. Mm-hmm. The tattoo got smaller and smaller. It was a Celtic knot the size of a wafer. And this seems particularly symbolic. The Celtic knot is a representation of Ronan's Irish-American heritage, and the wafer is Catholic communion, and both of these are deeply ingrained in Ronan's identity, and they both could be something that Ronan is feeling guilty for betraying.
1: Yeah, I noted pretty much the exact same thing. The knot work and the communion imagery he put the tattoo in his mouth and swallowed it, is indicative
0: of that very specific heritage of Ronan's Irish Catholic. Right. And Adam, who had become Kavinsky, said, Si quid estes vos. I know what you are. Please, God, tell me what I am. Mm-hmm. Kavinsky, rather than seeing the truth underneath Ronan's skin, says something, I know what you are, that almost presumes that he knows the truth of Ronan's self, that being a dreamer is all that he is but what ronin is is not the same as who ronin is right
1: kavinsky may know what ronin is but adam knows who right
0: Kavinsky put the tattoo in his mouth and swallowed it. Ronan is consumed, and to be swallowed seems like such a sexual thing. I've always interpreted this as the communion wafer, but it could also be a pill like when he and Kay are dreaming together, especially given that this is Kavinsky doing it.
1: I think it's both, because Mm -hmm. it's all tied together. It's all this imagery all mixed up in Ronan's head. Mm -hmm. And Ronan woke with a
0: start, ashamed and euphoric. If there's any way to interpret this beyond sexy wet dream, I don't know what that would be. Agreed. (laughs) And the euphoria wore off long before the shame did. And this could be interpreted as Catholic sexual guilt, but it also could be seen as Ronan getting a really clear concrete sign about something that he's been hiding from himself, effectively making himself a liar in his own mind. Yeah, I think it's both of these. Yeah, and it's a secret that's hidden or revealed, so we could take a drink. Okay. <laughs> ah, we're so close. And then the last line, he was never sleeping again. This mirrors very closely the scene in The Raven King after Adam kissed Ronan back. Inside, they pretended they would dream, but they did not. They sprawled on the living room sofa, and Adam studied the tattoo that covered Ronan's back. All the sharp edges that hooked wonderfully and fearfully into each other. Ingwibus et rostro. Adam said, Ronan put Adam's fingers to his mouth. He was never sleeping again. (laughs) Well. Ah, We did it. that That was pretty intense. Yeah. Okay, so... We have to move on to the other sections of the yeah. episode. MVC. MVC. I I was torn. Okay. I, I have two and they're both a little weird. Okay. Uh I had I couldn't pick one. You couldn't pick one? I was just like, MVC? What's that? I don't know. <laughs> like Do you have one now or I don't. I really like this. is the first time I actually don't really have an MVC because I don't know. They're all so interesting and good. Uh huh. Okay. So, what I- are yours?
1: actually, yeah, I, I came up with one because it's a little weird. Okay. The Mitsubishi. Oh,
0: God. Yeah. <laughs> so I was actually the one I was leading for is the champagne monstrosity. Yeah, that was my second one. That was the second one. <laughs> oh, my God. But okay. I decided on Mitsubishi because the Mitsu dies. Oh, oh that is so funny. Because <laughs> I was like... I I can't pick a character, I can't, I can't, and like, okay, but I love the champagne mutiny, like, I Uh love it, and I know that there are better, you're right, there are better times for that, so... I'm willing to go with the Mitsu on this <laughs> That is so funny. Oh, my gosh. Okay. I, just, I, I fell for the Mitsubishi. I really did. I you're, was like, just... you're like, he's just throwing it away. What a callous asshole. Like, it can, the dead could totally come out. Oh, my God. That's so funny. Okay. That is great. Yeah, I had such a hard time. All right. <laughs> such a hard time. Okay. It's Maggie Watch. Maggie Watch. Just a few days ago, as of this recording, Maggie posted the following tweet. Who just turned in a draft of a secret project? This person, Finger Guns. <laughs> the Finger Guns were at the request of the follower. I agree that they added a little something something. <laughs> All right. What is the secret project? Well, obviously, we don't know because it's a secret. Take a drink. Woohoo. Thanks, Maggie. So all we have is rumors. There have been several rumors about possibly like a comic book or some sort of illustrated thing that she's doing. Mm-hmm. There was a little bit of a hint of something Scorpio races related. That's not the tarot deck. Mm-hmm. But honestly, she has talked about several times that she's enjoyed playing this one close to the chest. Right. So secret project. Don't know what it is, but it's been we'll turned in. out. Yeah. Do-do-do-do-do. All right. And then, supporter shout-out, I wanted to say thank you to Hilla? Hillia? I think it's Hilla. It's at Mooney Reader, who Mm. tweeted at us. Okay, I'm listening to the Raven Girls again, and I agree that Gansey is very much a Ravenclaw, (laughs) but... Yes, we're right. Yeah, but he would also totally ask the sorting hat to sort him into Gryffindor because I think he values bravery and proving your worth more than knowledge or other Ravenclaw traits. And I responded online. First, we love this kind of interaction. Yes. Yes, we do. Absolutely. And secondly, since I already responded online, I would love to get Shannon's opinion on this. I I can buy it. Yeah. Yeah. I can buy it. I do too. I can totally see that. It's always a mix for me, like... Gansy definitely, obviously has Gryffindor traits. My response was online. I feel like he has a tiny little Ravenclaw in a library somewhere, deep in his heart, <laughs> like, <laughs> just studying maps and old books. So. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's pretty much it. Do we want to do the action action item? item? Let's do the action item just to be on the same side. So as we talked about at the end of last episode, we had so much material to cover this time that we ended up pushing off our deep dive topic, which we had hoped to do on sort of the presentation of masculine traits Mm -hmm. in the characters of the Raven Cycle.
1: Right, like performative masculinity related to them.
0: Yeah, and so... Because we are pushing that off, we would like to get feedback from our listeners, Mm -hmm. either questions that you might have or your thoughts on particular scenes that you think are interesting Mm -hmm. yeah just your thoughts
1: and questions in regard to the way masculinity is presented in these books and shown through different characters
0: right we want to present that to you all and say this is something worth soliciting input for right
1: exactly yeah okay I think with that (laughs) I think we're done all right let's wrap it up So thanks for listening today. Our next episode will cover chapters 31 through 33 of The Dream Thieves. And with a deep dive on pigeons
0: apparently yep Yep. we're doing pigeons okay Uh okay however our recording schedule is several weeks ahead of the release schedule so follow us online for announcements of what chapters we'll be covering next please send us your thoughts we would love to have your contributions particularly Mm -hmm. on what we asked about today and questions theories fan casts etc uh-huh
1: you can find us practically everywhere on social media at Raven Girls, R-A-V-I-N-G-I-R-L-S, on Twitter at Raven Girls, on Tumblr at ravengirls.tumblr.com, Facebook at facebook.com slash ravengirls, and reach us directly at ravengirls at gmail.com.
0: And you can reach me at substanceparty.tumblr.com. Does that sound familiar? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Or via Gmail at Substance Party with all of the A's taken out. S-U-B-S-T-N-C-E-P-R-T-Y at gmail.com. If we have referenced a post or article in the podcast, we will do our very best to include source links to those in the show notes. The Raven Cycle and all affiliated properties are copyright Maggie Stiebotter and Scholastic Incorporated. We hope you've enjoyed today's episode.
1: And until next time, whoop, whoop Raven, Raven Girls. Girls! Oh my god, <laughs>
0: you're so silly. Instead of throwing it at the Mitsubishi, No way was the Mitsubishi show, Mitsubishi show, The girl lulled in the passenger seat of the crunch, of the crunched Mitsubishi, of the crunched bleh. That's such a hard word to say. <laughs> oh, f- you, Maggie. All right. <laughs> of the crunched Mitsubishi, her eyes deeply stoned i'm gonna have to cut the f*** you maggie part um <laughs> gansey Gansey's belly button ring no 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 orla's belly button rings that's like when we sat in the car for like forever we're like sometimes you feel like a nut <laughs> sometimes you don't oh man just got nuts mounds don't because, because sometimes,
1: sometimes you feel like, like a-, a nut sometimes you don't
0: <laughs> yeah oh gee, mini Christmas. <laughs> Alright. Get close to me, Shannon. <laughs> get close to me. <laughs> Come closer, Shannon. Stay alive and listen. <laughs> uh, <laughs> get closer to the microphone. <laughs> Alright, fine. <laughs> Wait, what is happening?
1: What is happening? I don't think either of us knows what's happening today.
0: What, nice, <laughs> it's just my regular face. <laughs> my face is always a fart noise face. Come on. You're a fart noise. No, you're a fart noise, I'm telling mom.
1: I'll tell on you. Mom, Shannon's touching me! <laughs> stop it I'm not, it, not, it. Touching, you. I'm not it. touching you I'm not touching you
0: I'm not touching you <laughs> Shit! <laughs> <laughs> what was it and barely the angel said stop hitting yourself <laughs>
1: <laughs> fave meme oh my god Okay, <laughs> are we ready to get back into this? Do we sound ready? No. no. <laughs> <laughs>
0: oh, <fuck. laughs> oh my God, crying, <laughs> <laughs> crying real tears. Oh, Ugh, poor, poor darling. That's yeah. usually my, my gig. Where'd that come from? Gig. Oh, I'm sorry. It will not make you laugh anymore. All right, are we ready? Okay. All right. It's your overview. Oh, whoo. oh my God! <laughs> You're so silly. We are silly. <laughs> That's what I love about us. Uh huh. Very much so.
1: <sighs> All right.
0: <sighs>